Now I'm on. So anyway, I'm just commending you. If you've plowed through the entire Bible, we took two years to do it, two years, instead of one, made it a little bit easier. But even if you've slid behind, don't give up. Right, Linda? She's going, that's right. So don't give up. Keep going. Get through it. It's really good, too. And, and I don't know, uh, I think I've heard a lot of comments that if you haven't gotten your hands on one of those, you should. The, uh, the gray sections, everybody know what I mean by the gray sections? Aren't they not helpful? Yeah, they kind of help orient you to understand this is what God's doing behind the scenes here. Very wonderful uh, version, highly recommended. Okay, those of you who have uh, Bibles with you, turn to Titus 3. If you don't, you can use the black book in the seat in front of you, seat pocket, page 1194. We have been in a series on Titus, the book of Titus, and uh, we're going to continue. And today I'm not just going to teach. Today I'm going to meddle. Because I'm just in a frisky kind of mood and it's going to be meddling time. What's that? Oh, Oh, here he's going, well, all right, very good. So, Titus, the grace community. No, no, no. The grace community. Everybody's saying, why is this man preaching about a church down the road in Washingtonville? Because I'm not. But maybe I am. We want to talk about being the grace community. And uh, every church should be the grace community. They're not always, but they should be. So, if you would follow with me, um, have you been sitting too long? All right, I'll let you slide. Page 1194, Titus 3, starting in the third verse. I'm going to cut it one verse short. I'm repeating what we've already seen. Follow along with me. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Amen. We could all go home there, right? How about the song we just sang a minute ago? My chains fell off. Can you look back and identify what chains fell off? I was a mean girl. Not me. I wasn't a mean girl. Sometimes I was a mean boy. I was more picked on boy than I got mean different ways, right? Anybody really, you know what I mean? My chains fell off. That's what this is talking about. That's the gospel. Have you been freed if you are not aware? I always love to um, meddle and ask, what was it that you got saved from? Don't just give me generic, oh, my sins. We know that. That's the Sunday school answer. What specifically? But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Dr. Ashley preached on mercy a few weeks back. And I know it's stuck in a lot of your minds, right? We want mercy for me and mine. It's hard to extend it sometimes. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, catch this, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Some of my preparation, Father, led me to portions about your nature, what you're like. There are two things that stand out very loudly in my brain. One, the words of Blaise Pascal, that Christ shall be in agony until the end of the world. Because of his death, because of the wreckage of sin, because of people not availing themselves and they're not finished coming into the family yet until you return. There's an agony there. And yet, the thoughts of men like Edwards and other greats, that God is indeed the happiest being in the universe. Lord, I got to admit, I don't know if I look like you very much sometimes. So much joy is spoken about in your word. And so today I come before you as, as one of your children in need of grace to speak truth to your people, not because I have arrived and I am second in line most joyful, because I'm not, and I have many things that I'm thankful for and that I feel joy about. But God, so often the issues of life, and I suspect I'm not the only one, rob my joy and take my eyes off the fact that you're reigning. You're in charge. You've got this. We surely don't. We need your help, God. Would you illumine our minds today? Help us in our growth Our chains fell off. Our hearts are free. And we don't want to re-handcuff ourselves. Help us, we pray. Holy Spirit, in the great name of Jesus, help your servant who is needy. Help your saints who are needy. Help those who are listening in today who are in need of your grace. Help us, we pray. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. The grace community, not talking about our neighboring church, we're talking about the church of Jesus that should be a community of grace, that which we often fail to be, that which we sometimes get right, and we're really glad when we do, right? And if we're on the receiving end of it, we're especially glad that we got it right. I want to put One little section of the text we just read under the magnifying glass, if I could for a minute, just actually a few words of it, and that's the portion that's in verse 5 and 6. So if I could put those up. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Why did you get born again? Not because you earned it. I labored on that last week especially. Gospel is free. That's it. It's a gift. You receive it or you reject it. It's up to you. But you can't earn it. And you can't do good deeds to keep it. You either get it or you don't. And if you get it, 
then that new life that's working in you that the next section is talking about makes us want to please our heavenly Father in whom we delight. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by what? The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Wow, that's a mouthful. Washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit. Interesting words. Restoration. That's what that word, the washing of regeneration, it's the word for the restoration. It's the word for the effects of the new age, the powers of the kingdom to come. It's already at work now. I'm going to inherit eternal life. Wrong. You've already inherited. You have it now. Do you follow? The powers of the age to come are already at work, as uh, C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Nardia, making death work backwards. Awesome picture, by the way. The renewing of the Holy Spirit, a renewal and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So a restoration, new age power, a renewal, which literally could be translated, and you get this because of reality TV, a makeover of the mind. Wouldn't that make a great reality TV show? A makeover of the mind. I see dollar signs. I'm, I'm going to quit this week. I, just joking. Years ago, some of you may be acquainted with a, a group called Campus Crusade. Uh, the founder of that was a gentleman named Bill Bright. He wrote a whole series of little booklets, nine of them actually, called Transferable Concepts. Uh, and they were excellent teaching tools. I have found that some of the most effective things working in my life have been little booklets. This big, 25 pages, I got more out of them than volumes elsewhere. One of his, several of them actually, you know, you've heard the track. Have you made the wonderful discovery of the spirit-filled life? Anybody remember that? So in that story, in that book, he tells a story of a rancher. I remember the opening as clear as day. A rancher in the, uh, I think it was in Texas, who was living hand to mouth, just barely getting by, not realizing that under his house, guess what was there? Texas tea. You remember the Clampets, right? You know... Black gold, Texas tea. Boom, he was hunting for some food. And up from the ground came a bubbling crude. Anyway, that dates me. Stop. Anyway, don't, don't encourage him, folks. Don't encourage him. My ADD is going to kick in. I'm trying to stay on task here. Bill Bright told that story because here was a man living borderline poverty when he was, in fact, unbelievably wealthy. Just like us. God has poured out the renewing, the power, the makeover of the the mind of the Holy Spirit. And we live tragically crippled. I think some people are doing a study called the Forgotten... Forgotten? See, I forgot the title. That was a joke. The forgotten God. Who's it about? All right. So, duh, right? 
Listen to the way it is written in the New Jerusalem Bible. I like this translation on this. Which he has so generously poured over us. Right? Today it wasn't pouring, thank God. I know a lot of people didn't make it out because they're such sweet people they were afraid of melting, you know. That, that's a little stupid joke. My point is, it's not just a little sprinkle. He pours out. He pours out the Spirit on behalf of his sons and daughters. I'm going to indulge myself today. That's why I said I was going to meddle a little bit, okay? So I hope you're all in a good mood. And if you're not... Okay, so moving right along. I was reading in this book that I've recommended before. I don't know if any of you have ever taken the effort to look up this guy that I've mentioned a lot. That's a little subtle hint there. Actually, not subtle at all. I've hinted about this a lot. Um, This is John Ortberg. I've mentioned him, right? If you've read it, you've found it profitable. The Life You've Always Wanted. You may not want to write it, read it because, like, maybe I don't really want that life, you know? Want to avoid that. But listen to this. The distortion of spirituality. Jesus was speaking into the lives of the Pharisees. And, and I, I don't know how many ways I can say history repeats itself, brothers and sisters. Are you with me? We repeat. What, where they were stuck, we get stuck. It's just the rules that we're stuck on have changed. This was a great irony of Jesus' day. The righteous were more damaged by their righteousness than the sinners were by their sin. The misunderstanding of true spirituality has caused immense damage to the human race. Mark Twain once called a good man... Pseudo-transformation means what Mark Twain once called a good man in the worst sense of the word. Pseudo-transformation versus real transformation. Getting clear on what spiritual life looks like is no casual affair, Ortberg writes. This is life or death to the soul. I'm going to say that again. This is life or death to the soul. Sheldon Van Alken wrote that the strongest argument for Christianity is Christians. When they are drawing life from God. The strongest argument for Christianity is Christians when they are drawing life from God. The strongest argument against Christianity, also Christians when they become exclusive, self-righteous, and complacent, which happens when we're not drawing our life from God, which is why I got convicted before I even came up here and debated whether I need to just get up and say, I'm inadequate to preach to you today, because I was reading about how God is the happiest being in the universe, and I thought of how crotchety I am. Sure glad nobody else in this congregation has that problem. You get my drift. You see, if you're drawing life from God, you can't escape God molding you and getting a hold of you and hijacking you. That's what I feel like. Sometimes he hijacks you. 
sneaks up on you. And boom! <laughs> Guess what? Caught you. Sometimes in the church, churches that claim to be Holy Spirit-led fall into as much legalism as any Baptist. And by the way, we're really good at it. Just being honest. I was raised with it. Some of you were raised with it. Some of us are still stuck in it. Certain gifts are the proof that you're filled with the Spirit. That's not true. Not biblically. I love John Stott's little booklet called Baptism in Fullness. Ever heard of it? Highly recommend it. Baptism in Fullness. The chief end or the chief evidence of being filled with the Spirit is moral, not miraculous. You might have a miraculous ability. It may be from God, maybe from the devil, maybe made up. Who knows? But if I don't have the manifestation of the moral fruit of the Spirit, anybody ever read the New Testament? Galatians, Jesus, uh, uh, Peter, Paul, what's his name? Paul wrote it, right? Paul. Got to get it right. Peter, Paul, Mary, somebody in there. <laughs> Paul wrote and said in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody remember that? The fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, joy, peace. It's one of the greatest gifts God's ever given us. Inner peace. People are dying for peace, literally, literally in our culture. They can't find peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, which is being long-suffering with that guy that drives you crazy. That's what it is. I'm just telling you. My wife doesn't want to look at me today. She says, boy, he needs a lot of work. <laughs> anyway. We need grace, amen? amen? And that's what I'm pleading with you today is to seek his grace. Last week, we talked about freedom from sin. Sin's power, yes, we talked about we're freed from the penalty. Remember, liberation, liberation from the penalty of sin. We don't have to pay for our sins eternally, which people will if they haven't accepted Christ's gift. Do you understand that? Second, I'm freed from the power of sin, death, and the enemy in my life as well. I can stand up to the enemy. I can resist him. I can exercise self-control and beat those habits. Some of us are thinking, you don't know the habit I got. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've had some. I get it. But I can be moving toward freedom. Yes, I experience freedom from all of that. But it's not just a matter of stopping bad things and a list of don'ts. It's a matter of do's. Walking in the spirit, which is what was encased in that passage of Galatians, I'm going to come to it again, is not just don't do this. It's do this. It's draw your life from God. It's an adventure. I'm going to use a terrible word. It's actually fun. Didn't it get quiet in here, all that fun? What? That is wrong in church. Everything I've ever learned about church is not fun. It's serious. Don't fiddle in church. Shut Do you see that person? Walk down in front of the pet. Oh, anyway, it's not fun. Yes, it is. 
It's about being led. It's about being refreshed. It's about allowing God to soften your heart, make you not like Ebenezer Scrooge and like he is at the end of the story. Isn't that more fun? No, that'll cost you some. Oh, get over it. You get what I'm saying. I'm as happy as an ant. I can't wait. I always watch it every year. I need to. Yes. His life is one of purity. It's one of victory over sin. All of that's true, but it's also a life of freedom. It's a life of unloading the exhaustion of trying to live up to everybody else's expectations. Love God, as I think it was Augustine. Was it Augustine who said, love God, do what you like? Was it him? Somebody like that. One of those big names. Have to look that up. I'm sorry, I keep putting you on the spot. It's not fair, but he's got the technology there, so he's going to get the answer. So, yeah, his image is intact. He's good. He's good. I love Brother Ashley. He's great. So, love God. Can you really say that? Do as you like? Yeah, because if you love God, what you like is pleasing to him. See, the gospel, frankly, just to be honest, brothers and sisters, is a dangerous thing. That's why there's so much opposition to the true gospel. See, it's much better to control people. It's much better to get rules in place. We don't step outside of the boundaries. Let's see what the scripture says in Galatians. For you are called to freedom, brethren. And by the way, the Galatian context was pushing back deliberately on the Jewish culture that was bleeding into the church. Well, no, no. If they're going to be real followers of Jesus, they got to be uh, circumcised and all that stuff. Yes. Yikes. Anyway, you had to do all that stuff. You had to keep some of the rules. You had to eat certain dietary meals. No, Paul says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're free in Christ. Christ has fulfilled all of that. Yes, as a Jew, if you want to continue to do that, that's fine. But don't impose it on everybody else. By the way, somebody had asked me a question in the midst of this series. So if I have a personal conviction against, for example, for me, drinking is a problem. Is that, in other words, I don't, by the way, we're not in favor of getting loaded. The Bible's very clear about that. Some of you who think you have freedom in Christ and don't keep that boundary up, you're confused and just off. But the point is, to have a glass of wine with my dinner is not a sin. But if for me, I say, this is a problem out of my background, I'm not going, I'm a teetotaler now. That's the way I'm going to live out my faith. Is that legalism? No, if that's a conviction you have that the Spirit has given you peace about, stand on that. When you tell everybody else you've got to live by my rule, now you're a legalist. I know I picked a bad subject because some of us think that's a central issue of the gospel, and it is not. So here it is. You are called to freedom, brethren. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through God, through love, serve one another. Let me stop there just for a second. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. What it's talking about here, there's a word, a Greek word called adiaphora. I've mentioned it before. It means indifferent things. It's not a law. Listen, adultery is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. Lying is always wrong. You get all of that? All of those clear moral principles in the New Testament are to be followed. That's not legalism. That's living righteously. The Holy Spirit will lead you to fulfill those things. Areas that we're not clear about 
are up for the conscience of the brother and sister to figure out what is God calling me to do with this. Is it godly for a pastor to ride a motorcycle? Amen. How do I win here? What if I get a tat to go with my motorcycle? You know, Honda. I mean, I'm just saying. Now, there are people who would say, that's outrageous. Let me be blunt. It has nothing to do with the gospel whatsoever. Whatsoever. If I got a tat just to offend my brother, Tim, who just got offended at me having a motorcycle, if that's why I got a tat, now I'm sinning against him. Oh, yes. Yes. We're going to have another interesting staff meeting this week. Okay, so are you fo- is everyone following what I'm saying? So if I'm like, mm, I can do what I want. Now I'm not walking in love. God condemns me for that. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Never fulfill what is clearly sin. Never give in to that. Oh, I'm free in Christ. I can get loaded and blitzed out of my brain. Yay. <clears throat> But through love, serve one another. Get this. The whole Old Testament was trying to say this, fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as And. But if you bite and devour one another, by the way, that happens in churches, right? I, that's not cannibalism. We're talking about Don't do that. Take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say, here's the answer. Walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Teddy asked me, how do you walk by the Spirit? Can't answer that in one sermon. Can't. I'd like to say, get Bill Bright's little article. Yes, it will help. It doesn't mean you'll come out the other. I read the article. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Can't guarantee it. Because I think the fundamental issue is how badly do you want him? I've been pushing on that. I'm asking for the congregation to pray. We need a visitation of the Spirit. I'm just being clear about that. So, there it is. Walk by the Spirit. Live that spiritual breathing reality. I'm dependent on you day by day. We're going to have communion today. You know why God, why God, why Jesus, the God-man, said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. When you meet together, do this. It's designed to make you look at him and say, I need you so badly. That was the point. Not that I do a nice little religious thing on a Sunday morning. Okay, I'm good now. Anybody ever have this uh, punch list mentality? I've had it. You know what? Punch list. I got my spiritual punch list stuff. I got it. Oh, boop, boop, boop. And then here's, here's what's in the back of my mind. I used, to, I used to have some of this. Even while I... Now I'm really coming clean. I'll probably lose my job this week, you know. It's like... Even in ministry, I, my mindset, oh, my punch list, one, two. Okay, I did those. Now I have all my time to myself. Now. Right? Yeah, I got my Jesus stuff out of the way. Thank God. And now I can go do whatever I want. <laughs> You're almost giddy with stupidity. You know what I mean? Does that resonate with anybody? You know what I'm saying? That's not what we're called to. You see, there's not a religious part of your life. God's interested in your life, as Ortberg says, you know. It's walking with him all the time. I can know that riding my motorcycle 
is actually glorifying him. <gasps> no, I don't believe this guy. Where did he come from? Queens. Anyway. <laughs> that explains a lot. First, we have enabling grace from God, right? That was the, 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 uh, the first point. Enabling grace. Now, we need to talk about extending grace to others and maybe to yourself. How many of us need a pass? <laughs> yeah, I get it. Sometimes we need a pass. Let me go back to the passage in, in Titus that provoked this. And you're going to say, what has this got to do with it? You'll, you'll see why. For this cause, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith. Because they were falling into this legalism. Not paying attention to Jewish myths. And what? Here's the underscore. Commandments of men. The rules of men. Who turn away from the truth. And going back to the adiaphora, the indifferent things, the things that are up, that there's no clear scripture, you know. I looked up the Bible. I, I know there's a terrible sin around here. The, I'm sure the Bible says somewhere you should not have coffee in the sanctuary. I'm sure it's in here. I couldn't find it. Sorry, guys. I know I'm meddling on purpose. If the scripture says it, I'll die for it. If it's you telling me that's what it says and it's not in there, forget it. There's freedom. We need to pass. Therefore, reprove them. For the pure, to the pure, all things are pure. To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. I've got these rules in my mind. Everybody else better live by my rules. So now I have a way of assessing how spiritual you are because you don't live by my rule. I'm not, I was talking to him. <laughs> that, those British, they don't live by my rules. I don't know. I was so good I can't remember it. What, what did I say? What did I say? Yeah, what happens is I develop a method of judging everybody else because I have an unpurified conscience myself about what's free and clear and allowed or not allowed or whatever. I've got my punch list. You know, I've said it before. We are incurable legalists left to ourselves. If I'm not feeding off the grace of God on a regular basis, I'm going to slip into that judgmental I've got it together. I'm better than him. My wife can tell you how many times I've griped about something and then I've had to add in. I'm sure glad I've never had that problem. By the way, that was intentional sarcasm, meaning I've had it plenty. Legalism. Legalism is easier. Do the rules and you're in. Don't do the rules and you're out. The problem is, as we read earlier, it leads to dead Christianity. Let me show you a passage, but don't put it up yet. Let me set it up. So the New Testament church was in crisis because of trying to keep the right bunch of rules when people had gotten born again and entered into the kingdom. And there was this pressure to add this and this and this and this. And I'm going to be specific how we try to add this and this and this. 
So Peter finally, who was the apostle to the Jews, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, but Peter says, uh, let me just fill you in. God used me first to speak to the Gentiles. You remember the story. And uh, the Holy Spirit fell on this whole household of searching believers, you know, of new believers. And here's how he finishes the story. He's explaining to the council, the church council in the book of Acts, chapter 15, and this half. And God, who knows the heart. Boy, I wish we believed that. And God, who knows the heart. You know, you, I, I can't help myself. You guys that are stuck on your image management, you need to die. Image management. Oh, I want to make sure everybody knows how spiritual I am, and I do this, and I do that. I want to make sure it looks good to everybody. God knows the heart. That's first. Bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? You want to know why so many kids have walked out of the church and won't come back? Right there. A yoke that was not from God. This rule, that rule. Christianity is miserable. It's the Sabbath. You can't even play a game. You can't go outside. You have to wear a tie. You have to do this. You have to do that. And by the way, running your household is one thing. If it's saturated in grace, they'll get it. But we have done damage. Neither we nor our fathers have been able to pull this off. Why do we want to dump it on the next generation of disciples? What is he talking about? Listen, the people that we're trying to reach, the Jewish community had a hard time welcoming in these Gentiles. I mean, they ate food they wouldn't touch. You know, they dressed certain way. They did all kinds of things that were like, yikes. And they had to learn to live together in agape love. And they pulled it off. They pulled it off. And the people that we are called to reach in our generation, which we either care about that or don't, they don't have your finesse and nice codes in place either. So you need to make sure that when you lean on them, it's about the Bible says clearly rather than this is what I like and you better do it my way. It's where we mess up. Let me give another example from my brother John Ortberg. I know he is just a pain. I get it. Boundary markers. That's what he calls it. Jesus was not just disagreeing with the Pharisees how to interpret the law. He was threatening their very understanding of themselves as the people of God. The search for identity markers did not die out in the first century. The church I grew up in was a fine church. I am deeply in its debt, but we also had our own set of markers there. The senior pastor could have been consumed with pride or resentment, But as long as his preaching was orthodox and the church was growing, his job would probably not be in jeopardy. But if some Sunday morning he had been smoking a cigarette while greeting people after the service, he would not have been around for the evening service. 
Why? No one at the church would have said that smoking a single camel was a worse sin than a life consumed with pride or resentment. Although he probably was, that's what he's getting at. I'm not here, whoever it is. But for us, cigarette smoking became an identity marker. It was one of the ways we were able to tell the sheep from the goats. You're in and you're out. Anybody getting where we're going here? That is why the... I hope so. That is why the marker held an emotional charge far beyond its theological significance. What makes something a boundary marker is it's being seized upon by the group as an opportunity to reinforce a false sense of superiority fed by the intent to exclude others. You're in and you're out. The Christian college I attended in the late 70s still had in effect a rule against the performance of jazz music on campus. This is hysterical. This really is funny. Can you imagine what the kind of shameful boogie-woogie you guys put up here? Anyway... <laughs> This was a rule, a regulation instituted in the early 20th century. Fifty years later, no one was willing to rescind it for fear of appearing to compromise essential beliefs. It's not. It's adiaphora. The irony is the students were perfectly free to listen to punk rock or heavy metal. But Louis Armstrong was off limits. On Sundays, the tennis courts were locked up, but for some reason, the volleyball court was left accessible. As a tennis player, I always maintained that volleyball was the more worldly of the two, and it was more closely associated with California, as was often played on the beach, so obviously bad. This guy has a great sense of humor. If you give it much thought, whether your religious background is liberal, liberal or conservative, Protestant or Catholic, you probably can come up with your own set of identity markers. A boundary-oriented approach to spirituality focus on people's position. Are you inside or outside the group? And let me repeat it. This was the great irony of Jesus' day. The righteous were more damaged by their righteousness than the sinners were damaged by their sin. Boundary Christianity. Samples of misguidance. In the church today? Nah. I'm just going to tell you the ones I've heard over the years, not just here, over the years, that are spiritual boundary markers. Close. Somebody told me last week, the day I stop preaching in a tie, my job is done. They were being joking but they were speaking for others who believe it. I already mentioned coffee, movie clips. I've had people leave my church because he shows movie clips. The reason being, Jesus never used movie clips. Man, was that a deep thought I had never had before. What version you have? You don't have the King James Version on the screen. I'm leaving the church. Hurry up. You can't have a church without pews. 
You have to have certain gifts. You can be perfect. Or our problem is not our sin, we just are forgetful. Yeah, whatever. Those are theological boundary markers. You're not reformed enough. You're too reformed. We can't associate. I'm like, you people are crazy. The more I listen to it, it's like, we are in Christ. If you're in charge of a church, you teach according to the clarity of your own conscience. Let everybody else alone. Unless they ask for your help, that's different. Invitations. You don't give invitations. Unspiritual. You don't use hymns enough. Unspiritual. You're not committed solely to Christian ed as the only answer. If people aren't in a Christian school, they're sinning. Really? And vice versa. Oh, well. House churches, communes, followerships... Some of the people who have made me the craziest over the years are people who are totally loyal, radical disciples of some big-name preacher. I love the preacher. He's a good man. I've learned from him. His people make me crazy. They have every answer. they got every tape the guy ever preached, every sermon, and they have every answer, and you're just wrong. Have you run into any of this? Am I making this stuff up? Have you run into any of it? No, maybe just me. I'm just the sicko who runs into all of this, I guess. So many things. And here's the sad part. It's not in the scripture. There's no command in the Bible. But you're insisting that your way is the right way and nothing else. People make rules that are not God's, and we use them to judge one another. And here's my question. If you take time to read the book of Romans in the 14th chapter, the scripture is telling us clearly that when you say you can't do this, you can't do that, and it's not clearly taught in the scripture, the Bible says you're the one that's in trouble. You're the weak brother. You're the one that needs to grow up. That's what it says. But I know what we do. We say, oh, no, no, I'm right about it. You see why we need to breathe in the grace of God, the spirit of God, to be able to mold us and change us. So I'm going to close with this one illustration because we want to gather around the table, which is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to, yeah, you know, you've got some of this. You've got some of that. It does bring death. Maybe you have to cut some grace to a neighbor sitting around you somewhere, or maybe you need some grace for yourself to say, You mean I don't have to live under those rules anymore? My mom was a child of the Depression. Does anybody know what that means? There is this inner inability to throw junk away. Don't laugh. It's not funny. You didn't live with it. (laughs) You get what I'm saying, right? There's something down in their DNA that you cannot possibly... It's trash! Throw it away! No, but, but this, somebody could use this. Where? In Antarctica? You know, I mean, where? Get rid... You get what I'm saying? Are anybody following? It's, it's an inner compulsion. It's a bondage. I can be free. So one day, I think I told some of us way back, I was standing talking to a fellow pastor of mine... And um, up came one of the saints that was from one of our churches. I'm not quite sure because we were rather large at that time. And so the car 
came up, and I was in my car talking to Brother Brown. And I said, uh, how you doing, bro? And we're talking, and my radio was playing, I'm ashamed to admit it, Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Beach Boys. And I drove away, I greeted him, and I blessed him, and he blessed me, and I left, and the parishioner said, He's the pastor of that church? Can I just say, ask if you have that filter. Ask God if you have that filter and destroy it. Let's pray. As we gather around the table now, God, speak to our hearts as our brother Gene comes and leads us in worshiping you at the table you instituted for us to find freedom. Help us to be a grace community to ourselves and to each other for your namesake. Amen.